podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Stop Hammer Time is backed for this season by Ladbrooks. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. It's a last-minute emergency stop hammer time scheduled since about three years ago, but it still feels last minute because (laughs) we're pressing the red panic button because in the 10 years, Jim, that we've been doing this podcast, coming up for 10 years in December, more of that later, we've now had to do this five times. Emergency manager change. Yes, emergency. And it's mm. happened. It happened yesterday. Is happening today. We will be discussing it with you in real time on air as news comes in and develops in just our imaginations, essentially. Joining me to discuss this with me, as always, Jim Grunt. Good evening. Jim, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Any, I've been very busy, any, but I'm very well. Do you have any consoling words for this uh, for this hard time that West Ham is undergoing at the moment? Yes, any, I, yes, I, yes I do. I have these words. This season, Stop Hammer Time is brought to you in association with Ladbrokes. Sign up and deposit up to £50 and Labrooks will put the same amount into your account, giving up to £50 worth of free bets. Look for these and other offers at betwesthampodcast.com. Touching words, Jim. Already um, the world uh, seems like a brighter place. It does. It does. I, 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 I certainly it does. feel better. Yes, we've, we've, we've definitely, we've turned well, a corner, that's, that's I think. I turned, this, these could be the words that unite the fans in these troubled, <laughs> divisive <laughs> and difficult times. Also, while he was reading that, no one left early, did they? No, no. That's no, true. No, they, they, managed, the whole they got there to message. the end of the read. Yeah. Incredible. Also, but there's no booing. <laughs> also, also with us. He is uh, radio producer supreme, currently producing the Vanessa Feltz show, um, uh, which which involves getting up pretty, pretty early. He does, yes, being in yes. for three. Holy shit! But having, uh, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, dipped a toe into the newfangled world of podcasting, has immediately been nominated for an award <laughs> as prime primo producer of podcasts. That's it is right. Mark Sandell. Thank you. Very Hello, good, Mark. Very good evening. Everything all right? Uh, not too bad. Thanks. No, you're yes. going to bed in about five. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> about, I might, about halfway through, if, you, yes. if, it, if right. it goes a bit quiet over here, you'll know why. You left the Liverpool game just after the kickoff, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> just needed an early night. I just wanted to see them warm up, and then that was enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> a departure for Stop How Time this season is... Uh, we're often seen as uh, the maverick, uh, crime-breaking podcast. Jim, your crack addiction. That's, oh, yes. Uh, Sorry. That's yeah. my, my robbery of post offices. Yes. T- ten marathon bars, Snickers bars <laughs> I got last week. Uh, for a law-busting, for a law-busting podcast, we are now on to our third high-powered lawyer wow. in the last month. We had Jeremy Dean. Jeremy Dean, QC, whose cousin is uh, whose cousin is David Dean, the Arsenal show. Oh, right. And then Don Hammer, who was on last week. Don Hammer, who protects his identity because he defended the mafia in in some trial. The John Scalati, what was that guy's the Scalati, mafia yes. John's yeah. yeah, well, I'm making it up, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> Scarlatti, in which case, if you were making it up, Tony Formaggio. Yeah, yes. He defended Tony yes. Formaggio <laughs> the yes. against the feds <laughs> in uh, 1984. And now he's changed his face and he's on the run. He's on the lamb. He packed a grip and he split for the coast. And now he's on the. Uh, Don the Hammer is, in fact, a lawyer. 
It turns out that all three of the lawyers, including tonight's lawyer, all know each other. They all know each other because tonight, on Jeremy Dean's recommendation, we have high-powered... Uh, defender of crime in the area of organised crime, but also specialising in sport. So, same thing. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> same thing. It is Simon Pentel. Good evening. It's well, great to be here, and um, on, particularly on Jeremy's recommendation, but it's right that the three of us, um, by pure happenstance, all grew up in the same part of East London. Yes. And that's, that's our link. So, we go back many years, and um, Jeremy and I are particularly close and have been for a very long time. Um, we sit next to each other still. Um, I was going to say at Upton Park, good, God Almighty, yeah. um, at the London Stadium. And um, we went and had been going for many years um, with our respective fathers and our families. So Jeremy and I have been massive West Ham fans for 50 years and we're going regularly for about 45 of them. And like everybody else, suffering yes. the various tumult yes. of being a West Ham fan with those yeah. few little... Um, rays of, of sunshine yes. that occasionally occur that keep you going and fueled for the next 10 years of misery but I guess that's what West Ham fans have to suffer and what it's all about beautifully put yeah, it, was a, it was an opening statement yes. wasn't it it, it was, was an brilliant yeah, it was like, at least three of the jury are starting yeah. to get <laughs> 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 only three I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed <laughs> but thank you well our engineer is asleep <laughs> <laughs> well I'd expect nothing else it's been a long day yes it has been a long day uh, so uh, yes so uh, during the course of this podcast we'll uh, we'll briefly gloss over the result of the last game we played which was the Liverpool game but the fallout from that game is cataclysmic uh, we will be talking about uh, the departure of Slaven Bilic and the arrival of Mr David Moyes so uh, the Liverpool game Jim you didn't go what were your views <laughs> <laughs> we all went you had, about, you, went about about. you had a better time um, than we did well I, I've got a, a confession to make which is that having uh, recorded it I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it and no. uh Four one, uh, uh, just one the result four. so deeply mm. depressing, Every, and, and all the reports that and everyone I've spoken to about it has confirmed Somebody that I'm right wrong. not to actually what not to put myself through the pain. You you mentioned the the, the pain, the trauma of being a West Ham fan. I, why 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 inflict that on myself? I, I've thought some people are wrong in in a way one regard I mean obviously a game in which you were defeated 4-1 at home can only be bad and can only be a bad performance but oddly we didn't actually play that badly oh okay uh, we, except we, for the we, spells in which we were having goals scored against us that's right but we we started off alright yeah well. and, and you'd have thought after 20 minutes or so it was an, it was, it was an even yeah. game which, I think it was, it was emblematic of, of most of the performances this season and a great deal of them last and the biggest problem is that um, we concede goals I mean in boxing they use the term um, punches in bunches and we concede goals in bunches and it's, mm. if, you, if you look back over the stats of the last couple of years we concede one and two goals or three sometimes in incredibly quick time. And I think the Liverpool game was very, um, it really did quite resemble the Spurs game. You know, three quick goals out of nothing, most of them given away. And again, it's the same defensive errors that lead to goals being conceded. And sitting there, you you just know it's going to happen. I mean, there's an inevitability about it and a fragility. The first goal was an attacking error, wasn't it? We made the mistake of trying to have a corner, didn't we? Yeah, we had a corner. Well, that was Um, a shock. We had a corner and uh, it was sort of headed away into that area where... Traditionally a defence would be. Yes, that's right. Uh, And um, uh, Eddie Milson Fernandez, in just a bizarre 
error of sort of spatial awareness. It was like he only had one eye. You know how you're kind of a sense of spatial awareness if you only have one eye? Well, no, I guess <laughs> I don't. don't. But, but funny enough, we all that, nodded when you said it. You know, you can't judge distances, so you can't pick your cup of coffee up. He sort of ran towards a ball that was too far away for him, uh, when in fact he should have then been, he should in fact have been sort of retreating because, you know, a livable break was on. So he was just uh, taken out by the run. But um, in fact, uh, Sam Allardyce was doing the analysis on Match of the Day. He was sort of right. He went, uh, uh, Fernandez just completely lost any sense of uh, spatial awareness. He wasn't going to get to it. But then he sort of jogged back after it. Winston Reid, who was the furthest, furthest forward because he's a centre-back and it was a corner, he beat everyone back to try and close down Mane. Um, he beat everyone else that was closer to Mane on the way back because we have so little base in the team. Fernandez also just stopped running. But after, the worst, after he'd made the mistake, I think the worst running. thing about that goal is, and I know we're going to come on to it for obvious reasons, it's very inauspicious in my view day-to-day in our history. But um, I'm sorry to say for Slavin's point of view, anyone who knows anything know that Liverpool have the are the fastest team and with Mane back in the side mm. and Salah they're breathtakingly quick and you really have to plan um, for that situation if you do lose um, possession particularly far up the field you know what's coming and these yeah. guys are lightning fast and you really can't be leaving yourself exposed at the back um, like we did and no. we, got, we got punished So I, either the defenders are not doing what they're told or they have not you know, they've just not been told. If you sort of mean, it's, it's I think kind that's of right. Sort of, because something, you know, if if you if you you watch the school match and and somebody conceded a goal like that, you'd you'd be a bit embarrassed for them. Mm, mm. So something is, something, yeah. you know, well, there's some ask, disconnect there. It didn't didn't everyone who's around the table tonight who was what who was at the game? No disrespect, but who was at the game as soon as that ball broke? I mean, there was there was an Jim. absolute. Inevitability. We all sat there and yeah. played the game and thought, yeah, well, yeah. this it's 1-0 here. It, you just could yeah. see it a yes. mile away. Yeah, and and that's been, I think, um, systematic this season. The amount of goals that from from the stands, you can see them. You, kn- you know we're going to concede from whichever position mm. it is. And stopping that or preventing that really is, is, is a big problem. And why we haven't managed that I, is, is mm, a I big, big issue. Right, I think you're right. I think this writing has been on the wall for probably longer than we have, we're mm. prepared to accept. You know, uh, there was so much wishful thinking behind want, you know, wanting Slavin to do well. But there were, there were some horror shows defensively, even in the, in the lovely season with Pyatt and, and Ka- away mm. at Watford that season was a, was a defensive well, show. Well, home to Swansea. Uh, well, home at, home, Swansea. Yeah. at home to at the beginning of the season, everyone talks about that remarkable run that we had in our final year at Upton Park. Um, I don't call it the bowling. It's Upton Park where I come from. And it will always be that. But um, the first two home games of that season, we lost at home to Leicester. And then we conceded four against Bournemouth, Bournemouth for God's yeah, sake. Yeah. Yes. Bournemouth stuck yes. four past us. Um, something that seems to be characteristic of, of the Billich era, um, unfortunately, is, um, you know, what happens inside of games was almost a microcosm of what happened in terms of like seasons in the, those two games with the second and third games That's of right. that season yeah. turned over by Leicester turned over by Bournemouth this season Jim and I went up to the first fixture of Manchester United and we I've said this so many times on the podcast just didn't seem ready for the football season to have even started it's like we weren't ready for the season to start let alone being ready for a game to start well, like you say Simon being hit with goals against us early on in a match is something that's been well, characterised well that, that writing was on the wall I mean I know 
know you can't um, overemphasize preseason friendlies, but when we got thrashed by Manchester City mm-hmm. um, a couple of weeks earlier um, in a friendly game, it was exactly the same thing. And we just took that straight into Old Trafford. And it's, it's really quite shameful. And um, moving it on, you know, to Slavin, unfortunately, um, it, I think it had to come. It was inevitable. Yes. Everyone likes him. He's a charming man, a decent man. You only had to watch how he dealt with the media today. Yeah. I mean, it was fantastic. Yeah. But that doesn't make you a, a match-winning manager. We, no, no. We've the, the, your um, you know bunches and uh, uh, punches with bunches. Worked, yeah, yeah, we've had was it thirty games at the uh, London Stadium? We've conceded three or more on ten occasions. Which yes, is just yes. Stunning. So random, yeah, no, it's, it? it's it's extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? Um, yes, and I, I mean it, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I I, I it, something that the, seems to be the case that I sort of wish wasn't the case because it shouldn't be the case is that sort of football managers and football players are not like dog breeds that just have one thing they do you'd think that they might be able to learn to adapt and change in the thing so you're not kind of going oh European football managers they snuffle around for rats that's what they you know like people <laughs> talk about dogs or that you know um oh you know the managers they're really loyal they're really loyal ah oh, they're you know you know uh, Sam Allardyce, uh, we moved house and he still found us. He turned up nine, <laughs> month, nine months later, he was covered in engine oil and whatnot, but he turned up loyal. That's loyal. You know, it's but like, did he turn up with Mark Curtis, his agent, alongside him? <laughs> yeah. I want to know. Um, Samuel, you've probably dealt with a lot of sports agents. I have, yeah. Here in your sports. There's probably. We should get you on another time and get you drunk and see if we can get you to dish. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very difficult. Yes, I could be in a lot hard. of trouble yeah. if I did yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Simon, no, you you were just saying in the pub that uh, we... Everyone thinks we turn up after a hard day's work, you know. Uh, you you could conceivably have some work out of the old uh, Paradise Island uh, thing. Well, as, as you, I doubt so, it, yeah, but yeah. It, because it's, it's probably not criminal. But, it's probably um, not criminal, yes. No, it's just um, like tax loopholes. But um does have implications going forward, particularly for football clubs, but that's another topic for another day. But, um, you know, you did... I mean, I always felt that if, if Allardyce kind of could attach a kind of attacking sensibility to his play, he could be a great manager. But he, he literally ignores it and kind of goes, no, clean sheets, clean sheets. are the." Uh, and I've said on this podcast many times, kind of many sets of statistics that I've, I've compiled to unravel Sam's argument because it's not clean sheets, it's scoring goals that wins you games. And, that, you know, uh, we've always been a low-scoring club. And, and, I just wish... and we did that in the Championship and he did a lot of that scoring away from home as well. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we, we to forget that. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. but we also forget, um, because I'm a, I'm a huge Allardyce hater, sorry, Sam, nothing personal... Um, it's all football. Um, but, um, you know, even in the championship, yeah, but we scraped in through the playoffs. We couldn't mm. even make it in the automatic um, promotion places. Let's not forget. So even that season, which was, um, in terms of statistics, a rather sure. good one. But I, think, I mean, we got I pretty we nervy at the end. What the state of that team was when we went down under Avram Grant. And I think that's something that Allardyce mm. also mm. deserves some credit for because he turned that round. We could have easily been in League One. Yeah, we could. But but, I'll take your point. But, but you'd, you'd have to go a long way to convince me to say anything good about Sam. Yeah. Sorry. One of our guests, uh, one of our guests uh, regularly on this podcast, uh, Jacob Steinberg, who writes for The Guardian, uh, yeah, uh, wrote an article this morning. It was quite interesting. Um, here's a little bit about um, uh, Slav in that. There was too much focus on motivation and not enough on tactics. These were words of players under Bilic. Uh, a player who left in the summer was perplexed by Bilic's speech 
is about playing with passion. But where, he wondered, was the level of detail he'd experienced at former clubs. Uh, the nuts and bolts of what we're going to do in the game. It's all motivation's fine, but the nuts and bolts. Uh, another defensive player was baffled by the way he was left exposed by the team's shape out of possession. That could conceivably be Winston Reid, who, who's now default position is a kind of arms out appealing to the rest of the team going where were you um uh, defenders regressed under billich and there's a belief within the squad that they're unfit among, amongst the actual players that they're not fit enough that and the, the stats back that up don't they I mean, yeah. in terms of runs uh you know uh, possession distance all that kind of thing west ham are the lowest in the league yes exactly i'm assuming snodgrass maybe is the first player they're talking about oh could be think? yes yes that, that 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 would make sense forgive, um, forgive also, me for also, putting the other side of that coin but it all sounds terribly convenient for mm. any player to um use that um as a criticism of Slav and of course thereby naturally a defence of their themselves because I think there's a very strong argument I'm, I'm not one for, for great tactical analysis in football and I think that um, as Ron Greenwood bless him said and, and got it right um, be above and beyond anybody else in football there are only two situations that occur in a football match either you've got the ball or you haven't mm-hmm. and, and the simple truth is that a lot of great defenders I mean if you watch a great back five including the keeper and and you go back to say the famous Arsenal back five. Tony Adams ran that defence. Mm. You look at John, you look at Chelsea. John Terry ran that defence. You watch them how they marshalled their back four, and they were the captains of those clubs, and they marshalled them. They weren't waiting for <laughs> Jose Mourinho to run on from the sideline and issue, them uh, give them a yeah, diagram, and tell them uh, what uh, to do. Yeah, yeah, I think it's worth just briefly remembering that in his first game, um, Bilic. Uh, played Reese Oxford in front of uh, the back four and played the back four very narrow and we won at uh, the Emirates and it was it was widely regarded as a a piece of tactical genius Mm, mm. and we you know so I think what's I mean I think it's I think there is a lot of truth in this idea of kind of motivation passion over over tactics but I think what has happened uh, particularly of late is that basically pressure is intense and uh, it scrambles your head and he has had a very scrambled head for, for some yeah. time now and that has been almost like kind of projected onto the pitch it's like throw it all up in the air see how it kind of lands and hope that it's going to work this time and yeah. if something sort of works oh we'll play that in the next game and if it doesn't work well we'll quickly get rid of that and try it. there's yes. a real sense the in palace which team formation yeah. and the liverpool team formation in a way because because there is a tiny bit of wiggle room, uh, it doesn't seem so since we're sort of seem to be such a weak outfit generally. There is a bit of wiggle room with team selection. There is possibilities of kind of rotation and obviously resting players between Spurs and Palace. When the Palace team came out, you just kind of went, this is the weirdest mixture of resting people who played on Wednesday, but also not resting people that played 90 minutes on Wednesday. They're back in when probably their game sort of tires them out a bit. Uh, uh, you just kind of went, it is really, it, they've been thrown up in the air and whichever 11 landed, they went, they went in. And that felt like was the case for kind of Liverpool as well. His, his, the, the kind of way he set up when he arrived in those first glorious few games in the last season at the Bolin has constantly sort of like Chinese whispers now gone and there is now no plan, I don't think. Well, it's, it's a remarkable thing, isn't it, that that season, um, and it's, I think it's fair to say it's the only time in, in my, my life that in one um, top-level season we won away at Liverpool 
Yeah. We won away at Everton. We won away at Arsenal. We drew at Man United. We drew at Man City. We won at Man City. We drew at Man United. And we drew away at Chelsea. And we, and we didn't get defeated by a single one of the big six, as they're no. called, throughout the entirety of the season. I mean, it was an extraordinary thing. Absolutely. And what was it? Um, 50 plus years that we actually won at Anfield and 3-0. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we held, and then we drew there in the cup as well. Yeah. I mean, how but, do you do that? I think going back to Jacob's piece there, you know, motivation is definitely a clear part of what Slavin was offering. Yeah. Well, it was that, that passion, I'm a former hammer, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve, mm. all that kind of thing. And I think it's been quite clear that has been gone for a long time. Yes, that's yeah. right. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the, when, um, uh, Sunderland went down with a kind of almost record low of 15 points until Derby went down with less. Yeah. Uh, Mick McCarthy, every week on match of the day had just everything inside his mind had gone and his kind of sideways Picasso face just was at the front of him kind of going, oh, well, I don't know. We uh, lost again. Uh, yeah, they scored more goals than us. And Slav was essentially... I thought he was in the room. Wow, that was fantastic. Every week was going, we will fight on, I will fight, I'm a fighter. But they turn out on the pitch against Brighton or something, you would see nothing like that. They just didn't no, fight. No. And, and it's ultimately <coughs> just motivation for the sake of motivation. And you, it, uh, it seemed like if there's no plan... Well, motivation, really... but, he, but he lacked the ability to... Um, to, to get them to get them to do what he wanted to do in yes. a kind of in that kind of, you, you you don't imagine the hairdryer was being applied very often no, in, no, in, well, in dressing room uh, there's another know. thing in Jacob's <clears throat> interview where it says you know there, there was not enough accountability Allardyce and this is in praise of Allardyce would make sure mistakes would not be repeated by hammering the culprit in front of the rest of the dressing room but Billich was afraid of confrontation and I've sort of sort of observed I think and probably as has everyone that uh Things like um, Obiang had a bad game against Manchester United in the first game of the season, yeah. but then everyone did, yeah. and he dropped Obiang. Yeah. So rather than sort of shoot a rocket up yeah. Obiang's ass, he just dropped him. And, and drop, the same dropping was Declan Ad- Rice after his yes. after his mistake at Newcastle. Yes. And um, Adrian last, yeah. you know, Adrian yeah. last season yeah. was like uh, yeah. Adrian had a bad game in front of the most fragile defense in behind the most fragile defense in the world, and sort of just got scapegoated for that defense because he couldn't but, drop all. But four. for all of this, and we can all wax lyrical about it and, and be smart after the event because yeah. it's it's with high hindsight um as we were discussing earlier um off air you know as they say classically goals change matches and i just wonder um when going back to last season um in the home game against watford um when everyone seems to forget that sublime goal that Mikel Antonio scored from mm. a, from a Piat Rabona yeah, yeah. cross, um, and we were cruising at two nil, yeah. and everybody in that stadium, all fifty five thousand West Ham fans in that stadium, for the first thirty five minutes of that game, thought the good times are back. Yeah, and within literally five minutes, two huge defensive errors, and of yeah. course the second between Ginge and Adrian, and we were at two all, and the whole team got shot to pieces. Yeah. And when we came out of the second yeah. half, it was as if they forgot what happened for the first 35 to 40 yeah. minutes, yeah. and how, how they ran right through Watford, yes. and we just caved in like a pack of cards. Yes. But 
the point I'm making is, had we actually gone on and won that game 4-0, yeah. I think there would have been a, a huge sea change in what have yeah. happened last Absolutely. season. Yeah, yeah, and confidence would have been <coughs> built yeah. in at you home. Well right. And everyone would have said, here we are at the London Stadium. Yeah. We've won it. We scraped to win in our first game. We've shoved yeah. four past yeah. Watford. Payet is on fire. Yeah, Everything exactly. is rosy in the I mean, garden. And we've gone onward and upwards. I think a couple of things. Firstly, that, 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 that reinforces the idea that actually the squad that Moyes is inheriting is actually man for man not a bad not a bad squad no, it's, it's not brilliant perhaps but it's not a bad squad and secondly the other thing is that we, in another bout of wishful thinking we all thought the way that Bilic dealt with Amalfitano in the, early on mm. was a sign of his of his mm. toughness and strength didn't we so I think you're right I mean it's very easy to look back and see these things now but at the time we were wishing these into into a kind of you know super slab success story won't we Let's talk more about this after this message. Stop Hammer Time is backed for this season by Ladbrooks. Welcome back. Jim. Yes. Do you have, by any chance, any poetry? I do. Is it It's It's, well, uh, it's... Primarily Slaven Bilic. Slaven Bilic. Uh, it is Poetry Corner, the return of. Shall yeah. we listen to it? Shall, yeah, let's do shall that, we shall we? Yes, okay. Are you ready? Do you need anything, like Jim? Not really. A I, cape? No, no, um, drum roll? <coughs> a drum roll would be, roll would be nice. If we have one, and a ham roll would be particularly yeah. delicious. Forward roll? I'm very hungry. <laughs> I can't do those. I've never been able to do those. Even when I was a child, I couldn't do a forward <laughs> Has roll. Has the poem started? <laughs> no. Oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah. I thought that was the first stanza. It's lovely. It goes like this. So farewell, Slav. You didn't have what it took, despite that look of being cool, of seeming no one's fool, and that 3-0 win at Liverpool. That joyous day now seems an age away, that sunny August party when Kuyati then Zerati stuck it up the arse of the arse. But now it's just a farce. The team can't even pass the ball. And is that all? Oh, how you've fallen. And now, super slaven, it's just... Drooper Slaven, we love to sing your song, but now you've gone. We wanted you to travel to the football moon, but all too soon we've seen you unravel, a bit like Ravel Morrison's career. <laughs> but here we are, and Slav looks bleary-eyed and ill. Our prospects are all dreary, and still my only theory, my sole analysis in the paralysis of despair is Slaven's hair. Was its regeneration his degeneration? It seems perverse, like Samson in reverse. It seems illogical, but those new follicles kick-started all his troubles, or so it seems, and popped his West Ham bubbles and faded all our dreams. But cheer up, boys. Let's make some noise and keep our West Ham pram chock full of toys. Oh, fuck, it's David Moyes. <laughs> very, very nice. Good. Very, very nice. I just want to say one thing. That, you know, the follicles haven't harmed um, uh, Antonio Conte's career, have they? No, no, no. no, no, no. Oh, as he no, did. No. Oh, my God, massively. You, no, look, right, at, you look at no, some, right. some images of him playing for Juventus. He's as bald ah, as a badger. Interesting. But uh, what you did, touched on that brilliant poem was that is, is how, uh, it, is how Bilic was looking in those, in those last few months. Not just his hair. He looked like a, a desperate man. You heard yeah. him right on Five Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a friend of his. He was clearly struggling. Yeah. His voice was so deep that seismologists mm-hmm. were picking it up. I mean, you, yeah. you, you got the vague idea what he was yeah. saying, but it was just a big rumble coming out of the telly. In, in post-match in, interviews, yeah. he he just began 
His post-match interviews were just a list of facts. Yes. <laughs> he'd go, he'd sort of go, mm, well, if you don't score goals and all that, <laughs> you will lose the game. Uh, the referee whistled and the game began and there was grass for the whole game and... And all that, and, and he's just like in this sort of paralysis of describing what had happened in the game with that we'd lost. You know, he'd, he'd lost any sort of perspective on what really had gone on in the game, and no, it's a shame. It's a shame. The question for me, though, is this, Phil, if I may. Whose fault is that? Because I think moving the, moving the debate on, we are all united in the fact that we feel desperately sorry for Slav and all I think just all West Ham supporters everywhere and those who aren't, in fact, have have a huge degree of, of empathy and, and like like him a lot because he's an incredibly likeable character. Mm. And I love the fact that, you know, he'd run out of the training ground every 10 minutes for a quick fag. I mean, yeah. you know, he really didn't care. But um, that aside, you know, he was put, I think, in a terribly invidious position this season. Um, he's left with one year on his contract. He's a dead man walking in football terms when you know that you're not going to be judged until the end of the season as to whether you get an extra year or two on your contract. That puts the manager in a ridiculous position. But to play devil's advocate, isn't that think, fair enough? No, I don't think it is. Do you not? No, because... because I mean, a football season's a really clear... Well, they are. ...set of yeah. 38 games in which you sort well, of judge someone. Yeah, but the know. problem is, you see, that you have... If you, if you do that, you have a manager who is on a very short term and players who are on three, four or five years. And those players know that if the manager for sure is going to leave at the end of the season, how they, how they react with him and how they get on with him is not going to affect, is not going to affect adversely their careers going mm. forward. So his left, I think, very much in a dead man walking. And I think the board have done him a huge disservice because if they wanted to get rid, the time to have got <clears throat> rid was at the end of May um, this year, not to let him go into this season with all the problems and faults that were quite evident last season and jo- then end joining, up like this. Joining Team Devil's Advocate for a minute. I mean, sure. I've, and I'm no fan of the board whatsoever. Uh, they backed him with transfer funds. They let him bring the players in that he wanted to bring and they clearly had that 38-game mm. season mm. ahead of him. I mean, and there were some very, you know, we've, we've had two years of pretty poor signings from, from Billich. You know, and that I don't think you can always put that on the shoulders well, of the board. So, I, I, you know, I would, I would, um, dis- two or three of course. I, I, I would, I would, I would dispute how much influence Slavon Bilic had on any signings at West Ham United. Um, well, and in, which I case, think, in, in which case, he, he probably should have made that clear. Well, he? unfortunately, you know, it's beggars and choosers, and it's it's in your contract. Now, a, a manager in a very strong position, and I know because I've negotiated these contracts, will have it in black and white. No player comes in to this club without my express consent, and no one leaves without my express consent. And the reason why, as a lawyer, you draft a contract, you draft a term like that in a contract, is for no, for no other reason. You allow your client to be able to walk out of that club if they've gone and bought players in over his head or mm. they have sold players from mm. under him and then claim constructive dismissal because his position has been made untenable and has been in breach of contract. Now, of course, when Slavon signed that contract 
at the outset, everyone in the football world knew that he was fourth choice. Um, mm, mm. And that's not a great position of strength when you're negotiating a contract. He needed a job and we needed a manager. That, that clause, you know, the clause you're, that you're describing just in a way kind of seems like common sense, but I guess it sort of doesn't exist in some, because in a sense, I suppose if you're offering a man, you know, four million quid a year to, to manage a football club or something like that, they will kind of go, okay, well, you deal with the transfers then, assuming that everyone's pulling in the same direction. Well, well, well let me. But it feels like it should. It feels like the manager just should be in charge of everything that happens on the pitch. And that therefore includes at least, you know, 60 to 70% of, of the uh, decision-making process in terms of bringing players, recruiting. Well, it doesn't. It do- in. Uh, in yeah. fact, it doesn't because a number of clubs um, have very sporting directors or transfer directors, whatever um, nomenclature they use. And I know um, of one particular very high-profile manager who, when um, he decided to take an offer to join a very high-profile London football club, um, insisted... Um, that that um, either he bought the players in, or he wouldn't sign. He wouldn't join. And if the transfer director stayed, or the sporting director, as he was called, remained, he wouldn't join that club. And it was the first time that the chairman of that particular club um, acceded to that demand because his club were in serious problems, and he desperately needed that particular manager to turn things around. Which, of course, the manager did. But the whole transfer policy changed with the arrival of that manager because he was in a huge position of strength to dictate yeah, what was yeah. going to happen. And and that's a, a lot what lies behind this. And a lot of the signings at West Ham are dressed up to look like Slaven. I mean. You know, if you're if you're making the decisions as David Sullivan, and he's responsible for a lot of all of this stuff, um, of course you want your manager on side. You don't want to sign a, a player that your manager doesn't doesn't want. But I'm not sure how much impact and involvement that Slaven had with all of this. Um, they had it all on a plate for Benitez, but of course he decided to go to Real Madrid, and yeah. their position was very different with Slaven. Very interesting, interesting. But I thought you know there are players, there are journalists like Jacob and Ken Dyer who are very close to the club. Who made it clear, for example, that Bilic really did want an out of it, for example. Yeah. It was turned out to be a bit of a damp, damp script. By the same token, I, the understanding is, and again, probably none of us know for certain, was that maybe Joe Hart wasn't necessarily um, mm. his particular choice because, you know, he had two perfectly decent goalkeepers there, but they thought it was a kind of yeah. marquee, not marquee quite signing. marquee loaning. Anyway, um, you know. Well, that's, so, well, that's just right. to move it on, just to move it on, let's uh, talk about now David Moyes and maybe talk a little bit about what, you know, you know, my feeling that there is that there's a very strong or, or a strong 11 players inside of the squad we have. And it feels like a kind of someone could come in with, you know, uh, if they ran a rule over everyone that's nominally in our kind of 25 man squad and, uh, and sort of pick the best 11, gave them some simple directives, we, we, we could get out of our problem quite easily and actually possibly bang quite a few goals in. But, um, how much work do you think that would take? Do you think, how much time do you think that takes? And similarly, do you think, uh, well, not similarly, or in the same vein, do you think David Moyes is capable of that? Oh, crikey. Um, I think, um, I think you're right. I think there are some, there's some decent players there, but I think confidence is shot and clearly there is disorganisation. So I think he's got a, a reputation of being a bit of an organiser. 
Um, uh, I, I don't think you can really count the, the what happened at Sunderland. I don't think that's no. going to apply because I think they were they were sh- they were shot. It was quite strange though because he it was he, strange, but he didn't seem to make any impact. They played two games uh, in yeah. that in, in <laughs> August, and he came out and said, uh, "Well, this is going to be a relegation <laughs> scrap." And yeah. that's sort of, yeah. and he sort of said other things. I, I, there was an there was another article on the Guardian website today. Um, uh, that it, it said it, it didn't help when from quite early on he described uh, his players as limited. Yeah. You know, he, uh, yeah. I think that they were yeah. having kind of financial yeah. uh, problems at the well, time. Well, they were, they were 110 million in debt. There was yeah. no sort of transfer budget. And, but I don't understand, you know, to, to use a legal term, due diligence, why he didn't do that, mm. if you see what I mean. Well, his, his stock, I, he was the former Man United and Everton manager. His stock was probably high enough that he might have been out of turn. It, he gave every impression he hadn't quite worked out why he'd taken the job. Well, mm. I think, you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs, because um, although I, I do know um, David Moyes, but not particularly well, but I do know him. I, it's not my client. I, I couldn't give you the actual specifics about it. However, um, I think it sounded to me, it sounded to me always that he got sold a pup. And that I think that Ellis Short or someone on his behalf gave him the impression that there really would be a lot of money coming his way. And that may have been um, a genuine belief by whomever made that um, overture at the outset. But for whatever reason, the money didn't come through. And I think Moisey, very sensibly, um, from his own position of self-preservation, realised that he'd bought into this and he'd been sold a pup and within a very short period of time was saying, hey guys, really sorry, but we're in the proverbial Mm -hmm. brown stuff here. In other words, don't blame me. Yeah, I'm yeah. just the piano player. Slightly a cry and, for help. Well, yeah. and that's exactly what it yeah, was. Yeah. He was preserving his own position yeah. and made relegation an inevitability. Whether he can change things around for us causes me personally huge concern. And and I and I say for this reason, his great success only has ever been at Everton. Well, Preston. Well, yeah, but both of those were long term were long term projects. Yes. He's not a man that's got any um, reputation for walking in and changing it in a heartbeat. No, we have got three mm. winnable ish games coming up, and if we don't get more than five points from next, those next five games, where we're, of course we're playing Leicester at home and we're away at Watford and away at Everton, we've then got the Arse, Chelsea, and Manchester City, yeah. and if yeah, yeah. we get we get beaten in all those three. We are staring down the barrel come Christmas, but, and that's a frightening. But if prospect. part of our argument is that, or some of the argument is that, actually we've got a fairly decent squad there, then he hasn't got to come in. It wasn't like Sunderland were in a disastrous state, or when mm, Saladice mm. came in to, to to West Ham, we were in a disastrous state. Maybe the argument is that we're not quite as bad as that. He's got enough players to be able to turn things around. He is renowned as being good organisationally. He's good at organising defence. He has a reputation for bringing in youth, which I think a lot of upset over these last couple of seasons is why, you know, you mentioned yeah. Reese Oxford on that on that yeah. first game, yeah. you know, all the, the clamour on Twitter for Martinez to, to come in. And, you know, he he's, was it five of the youngest players who've ever played for Everton were four of them were under his reign. I mean, yeah. So, you know, there, there are some, there's some encouraging article. things there. You know, it's got a large well, article yeah. in the Evening Standard today uh, where someone who comes out as quite a big sponsor of uh, David Moyes, who you would think would feel quite a lot of schadenfreude for, for West Ham sort of doing poorly, is Sam Allardyce. Yeah. Sam Allardyce is um, quite detailed about what he thinks uh, Sam um, uh, David Moyes' virtues are and how he can apply those to the club. Uh, there's also the story that Stuart Pearce might come in as a coach and uh, you sort of think that, you know, he's got a... 
you know, he has quite a lot of man- managerial experience. And we're getting and a good is, Pizza Hut contract. That's right, get Pizza Hut. Is it the post? Um, <laughs> that was all the penalty misses in that's one right. ad, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Him, was it Waddle, Southgate, yeah. Southgate and Waddle in yeah. the same? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is it the post? Very poor acting. Um, <laughs> but he'll play that Sex Pistols track and uh, like Lanzini will go. Well, yeah, he's a big, he's a big what, punk fan, isn't what he? What is this music? He used to play Pistols and stuff before yeah. they went on. But, you know, it might, might be sort of a good... Um, I mean, I mean you know, 20, 20, 20, 15, 20 years ago, Moyes was regarded as one of the really oh. good upcoming young English managers. He was... He was Scottish. He was, he was, uh, sorry, he's Scottish. <laughs> Don't say sorry, that. Sorry, British, I should have said. Um... Uh, you know, he was he was th- th- that that period's you know how or or Dyche, wasn't he? Um, uh, but football moves on, doesn't it? And it feels like a retrogressive retrograde step. It does in a way. He's only in for six months. I mean, that's the well. Well, you, know, you believe that two and a half yeah. years, isn't it? Well, with, uh, with I mean, the reality yeah. the reality will be that he wouldn't have taken this job if it was just six months. No. Um, I think that the club have for PR reasons, wanted to make it sound like it was six months and yeah. six months only because I think they, they foresaw there could be uproar if, they, if it was extended. But I can't believe that he would have signed that contract no. without there being an option that if he either kept us up or achieved a certain number of points or position, that there would not be an automatic He's got option. six months to save his job. Yeah, but yeah do, that's do, exactly I right. I think a lot of this depends on whether we think we are closer to Everton when he took over or whether we think we're closer to Sunderland when he took over. We're um, a very similar club to Everton. They, they, they quite often were mm. under kind of financial pressure weren't there there was mm. you know there, 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 there was always um stories about they didn't have you know they didn't have enough money he was going to embark on a another premier campaign with kind of the same players as he had the previous season and they got off to some bad starts didn't they, they? Yeah. and they had some yeah. quite bad seasons but they yeah. ended up staying up fairly comfortably and then they would do really well the next season. they were a good example of a club that reaped the reward for for sticking by a manager that they could easily have sacked within yeah. the first two or three years of him being there right? because they in, had a bit the, of a managerial roundabout yeah. in the early 90s didn't yeah. they? in, in the yeah. decade before Moyes took over at Everton I only know this because I read this today so I'm not trying to claim this came off the, the mm. top of my head. Everton had only, uh, only one top half finish in the decade before yeah. he took over. And in the next 11 years, they had six top six finishes and only one finish outside the top mm. of that. Yeah, but they had Now, again, so if we think we're more like Everton with a limited budget, but a decent squad and a decent fan base who are wanting things to be turned around, that's actually a better model for what we might have in Moyes. And I'm just as reluctant as anyone else. And I'm just as sad that Slavin's yeah. gone. And I'm just as annoyed with the board. But I think we've got to look at that as potential, and yeah. particularly with that youth element as well. Mm. We, and, but otherwise, because the, other the alternative is if we, I think we might end up being close to Sunderland. There's something rotten at the core I think of that's right. And they are virtually ungovernable and unmanageable, and I hope that isn't what we're going to be. Well, my, my, my redeeming um, uh, comfort in all of this is that I actually think as as crazy as it might seem, that David Moyes needs West Ham more than more than we actually yes. need David Moyes. Yes. For David That's Moyes, this is the last chance saloon. Yes. Um, after Everton, you know, he blew it at Man United. Of course, it was terribly difficult to follow Alex. I mean, that's that's the job from hell. But he didn't really. They achieved nothing in reality. Of course, he then went 
abroad in Spain he did nothing then Sunderland was a, was a disaster and people are now asking serious questions about his ability and if he doesn't make it at West Ham um, I think you can write David Moyes off yes, yes, um, and, and I think therefore the benefit to us might just be that he needs to succeed yeah. more than we need to succeed however crazy that might Absolutely. sound yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you always have to reserve judgement about managers you can't you know you've got to you've got to give the, 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 the bloke a chance and I, I already there are that's the stuff on forums or whatever there are people are up in arms about it aren't yes. they? and i think well you're you know it, that's not going to help <laughs> uh, it's not going to help the club and it's uh, you know it, it, I, I don't particularly warm to the guy i'm not I, I, but on no. the other hand if he uh, if he succeeds the club will have succeeded so you know we've all got we've all got a, you know an investment in that yeah and but- he has at least started in in, uh, in a way that Allardyce didn't start by ticking all those kind of cliche boxes about it's a big club it's a great club well, passionate it, fans I loved coming you know to Watson Park with you know entertaining like, football blah, 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 entertaining it, football it, it so he said the, wherever, the right thing. I go in the world you see West Ham fans yeah. 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 this kind of thing yeah. 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 he's been well briefed I mean I'll give, stuff, I give him that I want to play attacking football yeah. which, which is also helpful but the one thing when he took over Everton of course he said this is the people's club in Liverpool of course he did he's not stupid Yes. I mean, but it's like Jose Mourinho says the same thing whichever club he goes to. The, the, the point, that the, the problem he has, ultimately, and it's got nothing to do with football, and it's a, sad that it hasn't, a sad indictment perhaps, but he suffers from two great um, problems, um, neither of which are of his own making. One, he never played for us. And two is Northern. And I'm sorry to put it so bluntly, but you know, you've only got to look back in our, in our history. Um, Scottish managers, Lou Macari, come on. You know, um, how bad do you want to get Sam? Okay, whatever you, your view was, you know, he never got it. He never understood it. And he never understood us when famously in that game against Hull City, when we won 2 1, but anyone who was there, and I was thousands <coughs> of miles away and yeah. watched it live on the TV. You know, we, we won 2 1, we played appallingly, and he couldn't understand why 30 odd thousand people were booing yeah. because he never got the fact that winning for West Ham fans is not the ultimate. No. It's how you actually play the game that really counts. And maybe it's terribly yeah. Corinthian on our part, um, and maybe it's terribly naive, and that's how we've all been brought up. But he never got it, and he was terribly northern, and that's Sam. He, that's, that's, he's like the Andy Cap of football management and that's his gig and that's his life and it's made it work for him yeah. um and and, and moisey has got to somehow square this particular circle he's got no history with the club and sorry to say but he, he you know he's from the north and this is a london club and and everyone associated it you know we've got it on our crest and everyone who goes there is first and foremost is a londoner and of course we're all you know he's, we are traditionally east londoners but we're london first and we're london second and we're london third and he's got to understand it and quick do you think he might do a steve mclaren or a, a joey barton and slowly try <laughs> and adopt to, the try cockney all right <laughs> 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 mate well i don't know well in the first half we was on top and that Cool, bless us if we didn't concede in the first couple of minutes. Strike a light, I said. It'll be like a reverse of Alf Ramsey's England manager taking execution. Yes. This is Ray Winston yes. will be voice yeah. coaching. Well, that, that's right. I think Ray will be, be dubbed by Ray Winston. <laughs> yes, it will certainly be dubbed by. And I, I imagine that he'll have his own little jelly deal stall mm. round the back of his house, wherever in Essex he's going to pitch up over the next few years. 
we may have to wrap this up fairly soon uh, uh, though we could really kind of talk about this uh, a lot more um, we are entering our uh, uh, this is our 10th year of Stop Hammer Time and uh, just lately um, uh, I was looking back through some of the little sort of set pieces we've done on, on, on the podcast and uh, and I had a catastrophic hard disc crash in 2010. So everything from 7 to early 10 has gone. And the first one I have is from early 11. And it uh, seems quite appropriate in some ways um, because uh, uh, it is Sullivan and Gold. They are there. Um, so this is a, like from, from uh, uh, late, it's either late 2010 or late 2011. Uh, here it is. And it's uh, one of the player emails to the fans that they send. Uh, Hello and season's greetings from me, Kieran Dyer. This year I am spending the holidays in hospital. I was given a pullover for Christmas, knitted for me by Carl Fletcher's wife. But I didn't realise that the neck hole was too small. And as I tried to pull it over my head... My skull shattered. It was a one in a million freak accident that means I'll be out till March. Only yesterday, me and some of the lads were in another hospital visiting some sick children. Meeting less fortunate people really makes you appreciate how lucky you are. And meeting West Ham players made these sick children realise that there are people less, far less well off than them. It really put a smile on their faces. In fact, one child laughed so much, his respiratory system failed and he was taken to intensive care. The day before, it was Christmas dinner for the playing staff. We had turkey with all the trimmings. Louis Boamorte offered to carve and it was fun watching him hack repeatedly at the bird, stabbing at it again and again and calling it a whore. He left the room crying and we found him later on in the dressing room inside his own locker. No one knows how he managed to lock himself inside. He's a really bubbly character. Christmas dinner was delicious, but unfortunately my throat swelled up and I went into anaphylactic shock and had to be taken to hospital. They ran allergy tests on the whole meal and discovered that I am allergic to plates. It was a one in a million freak accident, which also means I'll be out till March. Before the meal, I bumped into Mark Noble, who was wrapping presents. I said, Mark, that's my present to you. It's already wrapped. You don't have to wrap it again. And we all laughed. He's a really bubbly character. We really had a thing at the time that Mark Noble was very thick. I think um, uh, Teddy Sheringham had said he was one of the dumbest footballers ever met. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, just then, one of the directors came in with a big sack of gifts. All dressed up in a bright red outfit with white fur trim, bucket boots and a huge belt. That's right, it was David Sullivan, just dressed normally. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Sullivan, how are you? I said, but he wouldn't answer. So we got some TV cameras and a huge crew and a microphone and pretended to plug them in. And then suddenly he told us all about himself and everything he was thinking. And that's satire. Robert Greene wrote that. Uncle Avram wanted to give out the presents, so we asked Mr. Sullivan to give him the sack. <laughs> oh, I'll give you the sack, all right, said Mr. Sullivan, and laughed. And Uncle Avram laughed too, and we all laughed. Then Mr. Gold came in and said, Oh, yes, we'll give you the sack. And he was laughing too. And Uncle Avram was laughing, and they were all laughing and making throat-slitting gestures and pointing at Uncle Avram. And Uncle Avram was laughing and pretending to be dead, and we were all laughing. They're really bubbly characters. Then it was time to pull our Christmas crackers. After I... <laughs> 
After I pulled mine with Freddie Sears, I had to be rushed to hospital <laughs> to have my arm reattached. It was a one in a million freak accident, which means I'll be out till March. After that, Matthew Upson led us in some Christmas carol singing. Unfortunately, we couldn't hear him. He was drowned out by the sound of dust settling. Then he realised that he was just thinking the words instead of actually shouting them in a way that we could all hear. He's a really bubbly character. Merry Christmas and come on, you irons. I'm Kieran Dyer. <laughs> well, that's, 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 that's a spot of genius. What is really frightening about it is it's equally as applicable. You've just got to change, yes. just change it to Andy Carroll, yeah. Arnautovic, yes. and, and Reedy, and you could read exactly the same it's script funny, for this season. It? It is, and that's what's yeah. really troubling. It, it is, is funny. It, it is sort of cyclical, isn't it? It is. It is <laughs> and it's quite nice that Andy Carroll's you know, telling us off for not being at the ground very much, which I think is quite, you know, yeah. clearing yeah. off yeah. early. Or I mean, not yeah. being yeah. there for the whole... You're not, not at the ground very much, isn't it? Uh, you know, obviously, you Andy doesn't understand irony, does he? I mean, <laughs> poor man. Um, well, this has been uh, uh, quite a fun way uh, to talk about some quite grim events in the last 24 hours. Um, uh, oh, predictions for the next, what is the next game? Watford away. Watford, yes. Mm. I fancy we'll get a draw. Draw? Would you like to put a score on that, Simon? Yeah, I'm going to go one all. One all, one all draw away. Mark? Yeah, that's, um, yeah, Watford were unluckily a bit overhauled. They were really unlucky until their goalkeeper got yes. came off, didn't he? Gomez yeah, yeah. against Everton. Uh, they are a tidy side, Everton. Mm. Uh, sorry, tidy side, Watford. Watford yeah. um, I don't know, yeah, draw's fine, but you've got one all, so I'll go 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. New manager bounce. Oh, excellent. In the wrong direction. We'll lose yeah. nil one. Nil one? Yeah. Watford four. No, Watford one. West Ham United four. Watford one. West Ham United four. Use your Ladbrokes bet wisely. <laughs> I was going to say, use it wisely, and hear me now. Uh, my name has been Phil Whelan's, and still is. Uh, though once I leave this room, it will be <laughs> Jemima Bench Press. Um, with me have been Jim Grant. Cheerio. Goodbye, Jim. Goodbye. Oh, we've got to say it again. Yeah, yeah. That's we don't normally have a conversation at this point. I don't no, want to no, say no. cheerio. It's, I'm just, it's the new, it's David wow. Moyes. It's the yeah, Moyes we're re, Yeah, we're, we're now, reinventing We're reorganising. We're, we're reorganising. We're now yeah. padding crazily. We're shifting the deck chairs on our Titanic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very astute. Uh, uh, of course, the prize-winning nominated, nominated Mark yeah. Sandell. Thank you. Good evening. And uh, first time on the podcast. Uh, really great to have him. We definitely we must Brilliant, get yeah. you back. I'd love to get the legal team now together <laughs> to discuss the terms. Brilliant that he wore the full kit and the yes, you know, oh, the absolutely, the I mean, that is, yeah, that's absolutely I mean, right. It's uh, Simon Pentel. Thank you very much. Thanks, and um, if I could say it in Scottish, I would. But um, thanks a lot. It's been great fun. Uh, thanks a lot. It's been great fun. I think is how you say it in Scottish. Well, I'll leave that to you. Mick McCarthy again? Yes. <laughs> Come on, you irons. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Stop Hammer Time is backed for this season by Ladbrokes. If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft.
Microsoft, Oracle, IBM and others, and when budgeting for software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. What's your thoughts on Fulham? Chances are you don't think about them too much, but nice away day by the river, used to have a Michael Jackson statue, and once did quite well under Roy Hodgson. But that's probably about it, because chances are you're not a Fulham fan. However, if you do know someone that supports Fulham, maybe a mate or a colleague at work, please tell them about the Fulhamish podcast that I host every week looking at each Fulham game as it comes and goes, with a nice bit of quirkiness and humour along the way too. You can find Fulhamish at fulhamish.co.uk, and we're also available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, Acast, and playbackmedia.co.uk. That's Fulhamish, your weekly independent Fulham FC podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.